Recorded live in a county with a 3% COVID-19 positivity rate, it's Transformation Thursday. I'm Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Penny Sterling and my pronouns are she, her as well. Speaking of positivity, Amy, we've got a positively amazing guest this week who is a very positive person who always has a positive outlook on life, even when they're running for something like the county legislature legislature of Monroe County. And that's going to be Carolyn DeVecchio Hoffman, who's running for the 25th district, which I believe is your neighborhood, isn't it, Penny? It's, I think, my neighborhood adjacent. Um, But yeah, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with her. And we're going to be doing that with Carolyn coming right up after our traditional music swell and fade out. Let's talk about change, Amy. Okay, let me see. It looks like I've got three quarters, a nickel, a Canadian loonie, and a few British tenors from when I was in London, because I'm an international comedian. No, not that change. Change is in transformation. The topic of Transformation Thursday. Oh, yeah, that. Well, we're doing this podcast to highlight how much things change and how quickly they do it in society today. Everything changes, and change isn't good or bad. It just is. The more we realize that change is just the natural progression of things, the better off we'll be. Now, let's talk about change. Didn't we just do that? No, no, not the last one. The first one. The coins. Money. About how people can give us some of theirs so that we can continue talking about ours. Are you just trying to get people to go to our Patreon page to support this podcast so that we can continue our exploration of what it means to live in a rapidly changing world? Because although this is a labor of love, we do have expenses, and by going to TransformationThursday.com, they can help ensure that we can continue to be bringing this fun and insightful commentary on the world today, plus get exclusive patrons-only content. Um, if I say yes, can we get on to our next segment? Oh, God, I hope so. Okay, then. TransformationThursday.com. Also, can you break a 20 for me? Sure. I can get that to you in euros. Okay, now you're just showing off. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Amy Stevens, and my pronouns are she, her as well. Today, we are welcoming Carolyn DeBelkiel Hoffman to Transformation Thursday. This is part of our series of bringing you um, local and New York state politicians who are coming on to talk about their candidacies. And because we're not on radio or governed by the FCC, we don't have to worry about equal time. Yay! Yay! Um, I know Carolyn. Carolyn and I go way back at the comedy circles here in Rochester, New York. In fact, when she first met me, I was still wearing boy clothes every once in a while, selling insurance and doing those kind of things that Penny just wants to forget about me. So Carolyn DeVecchio Hoffman, welcome to Transformation Thursday. Thank you so much, Amy and Penny, for having me. I've been trying to get on this podcast for a long time. Um, my pronouns... Go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say that my pronouns are she or they, and that I live in Rochester in the Plymouth Exchange neighborhood. And yes, Amy and I met um, through a comedy class together. And I don't remember when Penny and I first met, but we've definitely known each other for a while now as well, including help each, helping each other out with shows. Uh, and sort of activist community stuff. So it's great to finally be here. Um, It's just great to see your faces. I know your guests can't see our faces, but I can see your faces and it's lovely. Yes, I think the first time I really remember like actually spending some time with you was with Chris Thompson when we had, uh, when we went to, uh, I I think it was the, a cafe on, uh, in the 19th ward uh it was it was you and me and a couple other people that went there and we all had lunch together and i remember that was like when i really uh when i really spent some time talking to you it was like a very it was a very cool a very cool thing that you know chris was like let's support black owned businesses by you know if nothing else having lunch at there at some of these places and that was yeah Killer Mike had done, Killer Mike had just come out with his Netflix show where he does an entire episode of only buying black. Um, And I think Chris had said that it was maybe 
inspired by that. It sounds like something Chris would do anyways. But yeah, yeah. for a while there, we were going to a Black-owned restaurant every week or so. And I remember seeing you at a couple of those. Um, and I still remember the restaurants and the meals that definitely um, broadened kind of my repertoire for takeout and that type of thing. So those those were fun times. Those were before the pandemic. That was back when we went to restaurants and we didn't know what social distancing was. Yeah, but what people don't realize about Rochester is like there is so much amazing takeout, ethnic food here, micro brews, wineries here in the Finger Lakes region. So, I mean, people are missing out if they don't come here for our food and drink, right? We're a food mecca. I would say we're an arts and culture mecca as well. But yeah, no, I mean, the food scene here is is ridiculous. I went to college in Colorado for a couple of years and I'm like, oh, yeah, hole in the wall places means that's going to be really great. The food's going to be awesome. And I learned like, no, 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 no. Like that's not true everywhere. Like Rochester, you can go pretty much anywhere and get a good plate of food of whatever it is that you're getting. Um, but it's not like that everywhere. I also missed um, like regular Italian bread. So no, it's definitely different here. Um, we really benefit in a lot of ways from the diversity here. And even from the folks who kind of filtered up from um uh, from New York City sort of during periods of um, immigration, our community is so blessed uh, by our immigrant community um, and they help bring so many different um, fun and just meaningful cultures to our city as well. Yeah, it would be nice if they were recognized a little bit more uh, in the in the political circles and uh, were not just use for their food and what they could bring to white people excuse me for saying that or maybe don't excuse me for saying that but um that's you know uh, I, I i see that an awful lot which is one of the reasons why i'm i'm really kind of uh jazzed by your candidacy uh carolyn can you tell us a little bit about uh what you're running for why you chose to run and uh what your platform is um, absolutely. I, I wanted to say really quickly, um, the seat that I'm running for is a county seat. And I don't know if people realize because some of the conversation had died down around this, but Rochester is a sanctuary city, but Monroe County actually never made its own um, sanctuary proclamation. Um, and so that swings around to what I'm running for. So I am running for Monroe County legislator in District 25. Um, District 25 uh, is roughly bounded by um, Genesee Street on the west goes up north to sort of J Smith Street. There isn't like a clear boundary there to the east edge of downtown and then south um, to South Ave. Um, so there's about 10,000 registered Democrats in the district, about 1,000 registered Republicans. I'm running in the Democratic primary. Um, and the cool thing about this seat is it's kind of like running to be the city councilor of Monroe County, right? Like it, that's sort of what pe people know what a city councilor is. They're not always sure what a county legislator is, um, but there's over 25 county legislators. They're split up into really small districts, um, smaller than the city is. And the neat thing about that is that I can be accountable to my neighborhood and to voters in my sort of small district while being in a position of county influence, because as, the two of you, I'm sure, know our neighborhoods were intentionally divested from um, because of racism, because of classism. And then when you intentionally divest from a neighborhood, we have programs like redlining, the poverty um, compounds, it affects the schools, it affects the tax bases, even our infrastructure reflects um, the racism that Rochester sort of was built up around. Um, and so I'm hoping to be in a position of county influence and start to um, redirect some of the, the resources that we have in this county to neighborhoods that haven't been benefiting um, kind of their fair share of the abundance that we have here. You know, there really is enough to go around, um, and, but we're not acting like there's enough to go around. You know, for people that aren't from here, I think they'd be surprised to hear this because I think of upstate New York, they think of New York, and New York is a giver when it comes to the federal government. But when you look at Rochester and our communities, this I've lived in six states in the District of Columbia, so I've seen a lot of different communities. This one to me is very stark because you have the haves and the really have-nots. Because you look at the county outside of the city, it's all the haves. 
And so how does how does the county legislature play into that to reverse decades of redlining and other racial and systematic discrimination? So how do how do can county government affect change there? So first of all, I'm gonna I'd like to see a universal basic income in Monroe County here at the local level. Um, they're studying basic income. They did it in Stockton, California. They gave people five hundred dollars a month. Um, no strings attached. And among the people who received those direct cash payments, employment went up 11%, which is an insane amount. If a president had an 11% employment increase during their presidency, they'd get, they'd get another four years. Um, and also mental and emotional health drastically improved as well as other things that they studied. Um, and so, uh, you know, Rochester is one of the poorest cities in New York. It's one of the worst places to be black in the country. Um, and I don't see a people problem. I don't see a laziness problem. What we're finding again, as we study universal basic income is the best people, best way to get people out of poverty is just to get them out of poverty. Um, we don't need more programs. We don't need more red tape. I mean, we can always use more programs, right? We can always, I, I shouldn't say like, you know, we shouldn't say put the programs in the box, but in this country, because of classism and sort of our American independent meritocracy sort of culture, um, you can do anything for someone, but just give them money. Um, and again, when they did this in Stockton and they're studying it, the thing that people spent the money on the most was food and shame on our society. If we give people money and the first thing they go and buy is a sandwich that's 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 horrible right like it's just so sad like and then the second thing that people spent this money on the second category was places like walmart and target which guess what also sell sandwiches and shoes and so shame on us if we're living in a society where what happens when we start to sort of directly address poverty with direct cash payments is people cannot wait to go to the grocery store and get some rice and beans um and i think that that speaks um a lot to the program and so i see a poverty problem i see a trauma problem i want to see competent um, mental health care expanded um and i also see the trauma that's caused by our criminal justice system and the way that militarized policing and hypercarceration has destroyed our people it's destroying our neighborhoods um so between the trauma of poverty and the trauma the trauma of having um, like a little like out of town militia walking near streets. Um, it's no wonder that we're seeing the the drug use that we're seeing, the violence that we're seeing. I mean, we're just expecting people to um, build castles with with no sand. Nobody has the bootstraps to be pulling themselves up with, you know. Um, and then the other top issues we're working on are rent stabilization and eviction protections. Um, and yeah, alternatives to policing, mental health, social workers responding. Um, to calls instead of police. That's all marvelous. And I, and I just want to uh, to circle back here for one second because uh, you're you're there were some there were some moments of sarcasm there when you were saying the worst things that people can do with money is go buy a sandwich, right? It's it's insane. I mean, if anyone's like, oh, I'm not sure about universal basic income and it's like, let's try it and see what people spend it on and they spend it on canned corn. I think that's a good indication that right. that we could go ahead and go ahead and give people a universal basic income. Yeah. Yeah. And it's absolutely important because the other thing that that does is the money gets in circulation. And so I, I'm trying to remember the name of the term. But when you have when you give somebody who uh, is wealthy five you know five hundred dollars they're gonna stick it in the bank and with with the rest of their money you give somebody who is you know paycheck to paycheck five hundred dollars they're gonna spend it on they're they're immediately gonna go out and they're gonna put that in the economy they're gonna put that in the local economy they are gonna go out and buy sandwiches they're gonna go buy paint for their house they're gonna take care of all these things that they have been like hoping to get to because they don't have enough money I mean, this that's one of the best things that's happened with the pandemic was the, the, the pandemic aid, because a lot of people are like, I have for the first time in my life, I am I am not uh, I, I'm not freaking out about whether or not how, how I'm going to uh, pay the rent this month. So I didn't mean I didn't mean to cut you off there. 
No, it's great. Um, I actually saw my friend during the pandemic and she, I've never seen her look so good. And I was like, Oh my God, what are you doing? What's going on? And she was like, Oh, I sleep now. Um, because <laughs> my workplace, yeah, because her workplace was closed because of COVID. Um, so yes, more, I think you were searching for the term economic velocity and that's totally true. That's it's right. the it's the idea that if we like when you give money to poor or working class folks they spend it immediately uh, and so it would be good for the local economy as well right because um like when i get a stimulus check i um i eat at camaras you know what i mean like i spend the money on restaurants or other artisans or bills you know things in my neighborhood that kind of keep the economy going we also have tons of unpaid labor in this community, whether it's taking care of elders or taking care of children, or even just folks who are disabled who deserve better. And so I'd love to see, you know, for our, our mamas and our papas and our non-binary parents, just even if you are working like a little extra cash, a little extra cash to help your kid with the rent, a little extra cash, you know, to cover the healthcare costs of your grandmother. Like it's just more money in our community in general is so needed and frankly it's owed it's money that has was stolen um and so it's money that's owed carla one of the things you mentioned in there was um you know social workers mental health professionals such as what i'm training to be going out on police calls and everything or what would be police calls what do you say to the opponents of that model that say hey you know you have to have the police you have to have the police how does that model look with um trained mental health counselors or social workers going out on calls I think, you know, what I, one of the things that I've been talking to folks about, especially our older, older voters is, is I, it's not that I don't want someone to come when you call. Right. And, and you have to reassure them that, look, the idea is still that you can pick up the phone and help will be immediately on the way. What we would like to see though, is that they're actually helpful <laughs> when they come. Right. And so I think people are like social workers. How could we do that? Well, in a way, a police officer is a terribly ineffective social worker. I mean, like not to insult a social worker, but I think, I think people get this idea that like, oh, well this, like this, like, I don't know, hippies going to come to your door. And if, if someone's attacking you and like nicely ask them to stop. And that's not true. And we can train our social workers um, to to handle crises, um, and I think they'll be better at it. And I think what we're talking about in general is how do we do boundaries as a community? Um, if you wanna just really strip it down to the nuts and bolts. And the way that we're doing boundaries as a community right now is abusive and it's making things worse. So it's not that a social worker or a, health, or a, a mental health care worker um, wouldn't have the authority to create boundaries when needed. Like, so if someone has their hands on me, now what? Well, we can still create create boundaries with people. Like you, you, you can't put your hands on people or you can't shoot people, but we can do that in a way where if someone does need that physical boundary from society, it's in a place that is a healing, uh, recovery-oriented or center. Because right now our jails are traumatizing we're incarcerating people who don't deserve to be there we're putting people in cages for things they don't deserve to be in cages for and oh by the way it's a disgusting environment and they treat you like crap i, I spent like two or three hours in a jail one time long enough to see for myself that they treat you like garbage uh no matter what you did so it's also just our our if we need a physical boundary if it's like okay you have to keep your hands to yourself for a while and that's really necessary i want to see that be effective i want to see that be a healing space, a recovery oriented space, because it's just the right thing to do. And it's also the strategic thing to do. Even if you're mad and you feel like somebody deserves to be punished. Well, punishment isn't really effective if we're looking toward, if, if our goal is, um, you know, a better society, right. Is sort of a more peaceful society. You know, humans are, are, you know, we don't get better when we're punished. We get better when we're supported. Um, so we can Definitely. do boundaries still. We just don't, we don't have to do it in a way that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. And I think what I like in there too, are the idea of those boundaries. And I would like to see here locally boundaries where police officers aren't macing nine-year-old kids. And so, I mean, if you look at the videos and the things that come out, I mean, when you have like how not to police, the Rochester police has a highlight film. So 
I mean, there's a lot of opportunity here for growth. And I really like what you said about making space for rehabilitation, because I think rehabilitation is going to reduce recidivism. Yeah. And I just want to say too, that like, um, these, these are ideas that women of color, people of color have been teaching, have been calling for, for a long time, you know, and I want to give credit um to you know the writers the thinkers that have you know inspired me and and not sort of come off here um as a white woman who just got on a podcast and had a great idea you know and i mean like i have a lot of women of color in my life who um who are leading the way on these things um but yeah i mean there's just there's no need right what about the boundaries with the police <laughs> yeah for sure for sure and um i was gonna say too like our uh we want, you know, competent. Oh, I was going to say that there are social workers, people who work in group homes, you know, that are actually county workers that are still making less than a living wage, de-escalating folks who are having mental health crisis every single day um, and not without killing anybody. Um, and so when Daniel's law came up a few months ago, um, folks were like, Oh, well, how do we like, that's, that's going to be really hard. We have to make sure we get it right. We have to study it. And I'm like, mm, people are already doing this every day for 10 bucks an hour. So why don't you just go talk to them and ask them what they're doing? Cause I actually, my, the first six years of my work, um, journey was working with adults and children with disabilities. And you go to a two day training every six months or so, and they teach you how to deescalate a, a mental health crisis without killing anybody. It's not it's not easy, but it's also not rocket science. And we make it seem like it's so hard, like it's totally doable. And frankly, mostly women making mostly non-living wages are doing it every single day. Well, yeah, and you, you know, you mentioned in our wages, I mean, even with our county government right now, I mean, I have somebody who's close to me in my life who works for a county agency, I'm not gonna say which one, but she makes less than $13 an hour right now. And I'm, you know, my daughter and I work at Starbucks and we're making the market rate of 1550 and that's the market minimum here in Rochester for Starbucks. So, I mean, wow. that, so somebody in county government, in, in a county agency doing a way more important job than I'm doing is making almost $3 less an hour than I am. I mean, how do you keep people, good people in those positions? So that's going to affect the services of the government here in the county. Yeah, uh, the campaign has actually been endorsed by the county um, uh, civil service employees association, by the teachers union, um, by the non-teaching support staff at RCSD. We've been talking a lot about because these are folks who have workers, like you said, who are ma making way too little for the jobs that they're doing. And so I think because we're taking a really hard line on working class solidarity and on you know, kind of expanding these wages and improving the lives of working people. Um, the 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 unions can't afford, you know, um, not to have candidates at, at, in the, in a lot of level of county power who who aren't advocates. They can't afford to have candidates that aren't advocates because the county workers are directly impacted by county policies, and they are having a hard time filling these jobs with good people. Um, and they are having a hard time there. They've had to fight for PPE in some cases. Um, it, can you imagine any worker anywhere having to fight for proper PPE? I just, it just blows my mind. Um, we're also looking at independent contractor loopholes that have so taken advantage of my generation um, for laborers where, you know, labor projects will hire construction workers as independent contractors. And then when they get hurt, they ditch them um, and the community is out for the bill, um, because if it's an independent contractor, then you don't have to pay for their health care. So yes, the labor issues in our county are huge, um, and advocating for those will, and is another way of addressing poverty, uh, for the whole community, because a lot of times the folks who are working these jobs, they're not just supporting themselves, they're supporting another generation, or they're supporting multiple generations, um, you know, the other thing that doesn't come up a lot as far as our city being really segregated and addressing poverty, it's kind of like, it's not everybody's favorite issue to go to, but if you think about other cities that have robust public transportation systems, public, public transportation systems are desegregating. If you go and ride the subway in New York, who rides the subway? Everyone. Everybody. Exactly. 
So we don't really have like a public transportation system here in Rochester where someone from Park Ave and someone from Child Ave are both using the same system. They're riding together. It's something that's accessible. Um, and so in some ways that keeps us really segregated is that we just, there's no easy, there's no easy bus route from, from anywhere to anywhere. And I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I kind Not of sometimes much. say, yeah, I mean, I'm like, what's a bus sometimes is like the joke that I make. Um, and that's actually something that other cities have, you know, and it really does desegregate, um, the community, even if it's just that you're riding home, um, with people that don't live in your neighborhood at night. And like, that really goes a long way. Also, then people have access to getting to other businesses, to getting to other jobs and other schools, not having public transportation really keeps us segregated in, in a bad way. And that's just not something people, that's like, not something that we're marching about as much in the streets, but it's sort of like out of sight, out of mind. You don't think about it because it's not there, but that actually makes a huge difference when everyone is using public transportation. Yeah. I, I want to shift the, the focus a, a little bit here. Those are all very important things. Um, how much do you, will you be able to, um, to, to affect change in uh, in, in the legislature, I was looking at the I was looking at, at the ranks of the 2021 legislatures. I was counting them up, and what is it? It's like there's 15 Republicans and 14 Democrats. Is is that is my math correct here about this? It's um, very close. It's yeah. very close. Is there is there any um, what was known as reaching across the aisle? Do you anticipate being able to find any sort of commonality with any? A Republican that is in the legislature, or is it really, really contentious? So this is a funny question um, without the context of knowing that there are a group of Democrats who have been voting uh, with the Republicans this past year on some issues. Um, and so your question is actually a little bit hilarious out of context, because this is something that comes up over and over again. Um, so we are close to having a Democratic majority. Um, after my primary in June, you know, that will sort of the city elections tend to be decided in the primary. But then in November, there are tons of Democratic candidates running for other county ledge seats in the suburbs or in districts that have more of the suburbs in them. Um, and so um, there, are, there are seats to be won here in the city. And then if we want to sort of finish that majority and have a Democratic majority, we need to, um, after we win these elections in June, hit the streets and go and help Democrats win um, their elections in November. Because the thing is, is I, I'm, I will fight hard for the working class, for queer and trans rights, um, for criminal justice reform and everything that we care about um, on the county ledge. Um, I will be able to be much more effective if we if I have four or five other people doing the same thing. And so, and, you know, as we saw this year in New York State, you know, what, it's like once you hit that majority tipping point, all of a sudden legislation just starts pouring and we got money for the Police Accountability Board. We legalized cannabis. We got money for um, uh, undocumented workers. Um, I mean, help the school money came so it's like we need a majority on our county legislator um to be able to pass things more quickly and i will be happy to fight on behalf of poor and working class folks whether there's a majority or not i will i think i'll enjoy my job much more if i'm able to get there and we do have a democratic majority um because then we'll also have a democratic county executive so between those two things we could really we could really make a, a big difference in the lives of foreign working people. And I think people feel like politics is slow and it doesn't work. Well, I think sometimes why people feel that way is, um, you know, you, you'll hustle really hard for a candidate like Mary Lupian and you get a candidate in office and then people feel like, well, nothing's changed. Well, you have to keep hustling until we have the votes on city council to pass the things that we need to pass. So it is slow and it does take 
flipping one seat at a time at a time, but it also does work because again, as we saw this year, we were finally able to have that democratic majority in the Senate. We had it in the assembly for years and all of a sudden we've been able to pass a lot of these progressive policies and New York state will hopefully start to be a lot better place to live, um, particularly with fully funding our schools for our kids, which is something we've just been working on for forever. So it does take a long time. I believe in working both within and without the system Right. So sort of outside the system um, and then inside the system, I sort of see it as harm reduction, um, you know, and, and I, you know, going into a system and being part of a system that is causing harm, that is part of the problem and sort of living with that dichotomy of I'm running to be a part of a system that is oppressive and I see it. I just don't think we have the time to wait. <laughs> you know, to sit around until the system, you know, is sort of shifted. But, you know, people are dying now. People don't have health care now. So I'm willing to work outside the system and build grassroots power um, sort of, you know, on the outside through social movement and then also willing to work within the system um, because I just don't think people can afford to wait for the harm reduction that can be done um, from that position. Hey, Carolyn, you mentioned at the beginning here, your pronouns are she, they, so you're the first politician that we've had on with a um, um, different set of pronouns and some other politicians who have pretty much been she, her, or he, him. And so, you know, how can county government with that new, hopefully we do get that majority here in Monroe County, how can county government make lives better for the trans and non-binary community? Because you talk about um, unemployment, homelessness, um, mental health issues, these things affect our community so much harder than a lot of our cisgender counterparts. So how does county government, how can county government help our communities as well? You know, the, 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 it's baby early steps, but I think we do have to take the first steps um, of actually just being visible and looking at language. Um, and I think that stuff is more powerful than some people realize. So the county runs social services. Um, so having an option on your social services paperwork to indicate um, you know, your pronouns and having social services workers or you know, the county also has a police force, which we're working to transition away from. But in the meantime, you know, making um, people who work for the county you know, use as, that as part of their name tags or their identification. And while it might seem like a small thing, I know both of you understand that it, it's actually very powerful um, to sort of visibly do that. It communicates a sense of safety um, to our community and it also signals to folks who might want to create the opposite of a sense of safety for the queer and trans community that that won't be welcome here. Um, I think, you know, we've seen, you know, trans folks face particular trauma in the criminal justice system. So we have to continue to work to respect folks um, preferred gender, both pronouns and actually where they want to be and who they want to be housed with when they are in the criminal justice system. Um, making sure that folks have access um, to the medications that they need, um, to the hormones that they need if they are incarcerated. But I think visibility in a community where it's still very dangerous uh, to be openly queer or trans is really important. And, and changing those little things on the forums and changing those little things on the websites, you know, starts to signal to people, um, this is who is welcome here and this is the kind of behavior um, that we're expecting you uh, to treat them with. Those are that's incredibly important. And as I'm listening to you, um, last week we were speaking with uh, Kate Oakley, who uh, is doing a lot of work in a lot of red states where there are these openly and aggressive anti-trans bills that are going on, that are going on. And I'm just trying to figure out how you're going to be able to to get that in a uh, in in a uh, in, in the, I want this so much, and these are all great. Um, is that going to be like a first hundred days sort of thing for you? Is that going to be something that you're going to bring up early and often? Is that going to be uh, like a uh, you know a, a I don't want to use hill you die on, but is that going to be a primary issue for you going into the legislation and in le going into legislature? I think it totally can be a primary issue because there are other allies 
um, I think, on the county legislator. So I think some of those things actually can be um, can be focused on early. It's not something that I think we'll get a lot of pushback in doing. And it may even be something that we could reach across the aisle with because I, I, I haven't gotten to know any of the Republican legislators yet. But I wouldn't be surprised if there aren't one or two of them um, who maybe understand the importance of sort of starting to shift some of these things. Um, I'm also living in a in a district um, that is particularly um, lacking in not just support for the queer and trans community, but in representatives. And so it actually is going to be a priority for me to be really open and visible just for the sake of our kids, you know, just for the sake of, of youth in, in my neighborhood um, who might not have someone in the neighborhood who's saying, um, you know, like, hey, it's okay, you know, or like, hey, uh, you know, someone you could talk to. And that's not like, I don't want to say that there is no one and that I'm the only one, but it, you know, it, we, we have less um, openly queer representation um, in my district, even with, you know, progressive, like there are some more progressive or democratic leaders, but as far as somebody who openly identifies that way, yeah, there's just, I can't actually think of any off the top of my head. I hope I'm not forgetting and thereby insulting someone. Um, so yeah, no, I think, you know, for the sake of the mental health of our young people and just the safety of our trans community, um, I don't see any reason why it should take, why we couldn't get to work on that right away, you know? That's great. So I'm going to make that the, is, is, is that like, okay, so what would your first 100 days look like in, in office? What were the things that you're going to, okay, trans rights, what else are you going to, public transportation, uh, universal basic income. Are there anything, is there anything else that you would want to bring to the table immediately? Um, I'd like to immediately start to meet with and look at um, shifting funding away from the county um, police uh, to true public safety um, initiatives in partnership um, with people of color who are directly impacted by the issue. Are you talking the sheriff's department? Is that what you mean by county police? Is there is there, is there a, a a county police department? Yeah. So there's count there's there's a county police system, and then like there's also town police systems. Even though the county covers the towns, and so it's just like at some point it's like, I mean maybe we have to frame it as a tax dollars thing, but like y'all are paying extra for police, like you're paying twice, um, for police. So I think first hundred days definitely. Um, digging in on criminal justice reform, digging in and seeing how we can shift our budget to things that are true public safety, like programs for youth, like nutrition, like healthcare. Um, and, you know, I haven't gotten the first 100 days question yet. I'm just like, I just can't wait to get in there and read everything and then start throwing, um, you know, throwing progressive policies at the wall and hoping they stick and like lobbying and working with people and doing all the things. Um, but, I guess just here on the spot, I think criminal justice reform, um, continuing to write that U that UBI policy, um, and you know environmental justice pronouns, like shifting things that are just that are low hanging fruit, expanding and simplifying our home improvement um, and home ownership grant processes, setting up more um, ex like support for folks who are applying for LLCs and MWBEs, diversifying Comita. There's a whole other like thing that we could be talking about, but diversifying the boards that are um, choosing what businesses get um, sort of tax breaks or grants. Um, that's a huge problem right now. Oh, Comita is a whole nother episode. At yeah, least. yeah. And that, yeah. you know, in my former career, you know, we ended up working with some contractors who got Comita money. And I'll tell you what, those projects ended up going to high end stuff and did very little to help, you know, people in the communities that needed it the most. So that's a whole nother conversation. It's really bizarre. They, they've been, they've gotten away with a lot. Um, and that will not be the case if I'm, if I'm there. I mean, like I at the very least can be there to see it and to let the community know, you know, cause it's like the things that they've given, some of it is just really strange. Um, and there's not a lot of accountability too. So, you know, so a business says, yeah, 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 I'll, uh, I'll, uh, it'll be living wage jobs or I'm going to hire 10 people, but then there isn't a lot of like accountability or follow-up to make sure that that actually happens. I mean, Comita in and of itself is a way to remove 
um, the things that we're doing for businesses from the accountability of, of the county legislator. It's one step away from the county legislator, right? County legislator appoints Kamita and then Kamita kind of gets to do, you know, gets to make decisions. Um, and so in general, I think that like, I don't see why the county legislator shouldn't just be doing that as the elected officials. Um, you know, but a uh, governor Pataki created the opportunity for municipalities to make a board like this, a Comita type of thing. And Monroe County went ahead and did it. And Monroe County, um, you know, they loaded it with people that they owed political favors to. And then those people sent the money to people that they owed favors to. And I don't think there's anybody from Com my neighborhood on Comita, um, and it is um, an entirely white group except for one person. Yeah, that's a whole nother conversation, isn't it, Benny? Yeah, it's it is a it is a well, it, it's a it's a god. Uh, it, it's yeah, that's one of those oh. ones that I don't really. I wouldn't know where to begin with that. You're right. I would. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of who I would. How many people I would want to get on the show to talk about that. But my my takeaway right now, we usually do takeaways. But the the feeling as you're talking is that once you're on the legislature, you're the, you're going to be one of those people that uh, folks are going to love seeing you walk towards them or hate seeing you walk towards them. Um, are you are you prepared for that? Are you looking forward to that? Are you looking forward to fucking shit up where the shit needs to be fucked up you know to be honest i think there sometimes people lean in um to being um belligerent when they disagree with someone in ways that actually undermine getting things done for the people um i'm not expecting to be you know, you can't, you do the best you can to make peace with everyone. Not everyone's going to like me or going to want to work with me, but I'm also not a jerk. And so I can, um, I can disagree and I can fight for these things, um, while remaining effective. And I think sometimes people turn politics into, um, an us versus them. They hold political grudges. I will always be willing to work with anyone on anything if it's going to benefit um, progressive issues, if it's going to benefit poor and working people, if it's going to benefit marginalized people. And I think taking that approach to public service instead of sort of taking a side or developing some kind of political faction um, is actually really effective because then people will know that if I disagree with them or if I'm not um, signing onto a bill that they want me to sign onto, that it's because of my values and my accountability to the people and not because I'm just a petty person, you know? And so I think, I think, um, you know, good interpersonal skills and sticking to your integrity really goes a long way. So will some people, um, not like that? Yes. But I also am not going to intentionally sort of be, um, a cantankerous, difficult person to work with, because if I'm a difficult person to work with, then I'm not as effective for the people, you know? And so I think that you can kind of do the best you can, you know, disagree with kindness. And hopefully that means that, you know, the next year when a bill comes up for UBI, um, people are willing to work with you because you disagreed with them, but you didn't treat them badly. Yeah, I don't want to imply or I didn't want you to think that I, that's what I was implying. I just, what I was trying to say in my clumsy way is that you're the sort of person who, uh, when they see something that needs to be fixed, um, is going to keep on talking about the fact that this needs to be fixed until it gets fixed and there are a lot of people uh for whom that's not something that they're that they, when, when they're people who are benefiting off of it being broken are probably not going to like to to have you keep bringing that up is what i meant yeah i, I believe you are going to be a person who is going to look to to build bridges and not burn them and I don't want to have anybody think that I was saying anything otherwise about you. Oh, not at all. No, you're fine. I mean, yeah, if you're wealthy, uh, we're coming for you. <laughs> you know who I thought of when you were thinking of that? Though, isn't, it, isn't his name Bob or um, no, Boob Dingleberry? Over oh, on the radio. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Boob Shortsberry. Oh, yeah. That's it. That's it. Boob Shortsberry. Okay. So let me, Ed, we're, we're, we're about to wrap up here. I'm, I, 
I'm going to ask you to hear your elevator. If, if you got into an elevator and someone said, hey, look, there's Karen Del Delvecchio Hoffman. I'm in your district. I don't know if I'm going to vote for you or not. Why should I vote for you? And you've got until the fifth floor to convince them, Carolyn. What would you tell them? I'd say, hi, my name is Carolyn D. Hoffman. My pronouns are she or they. I'm running to be our county legislator. I live in the Plymouth Exchange neighborhood. What is most important to you or is there anything that we can do for you? And that actually is my elevator speech. It goes right back to the people. It goes right back to the issues. Um, and I feel like I'm making a difficult answer to that question, but that really is what we're doing. We're identifying ourselves as being uh, living here. Um, and then we're asking people what they need and giving people a chance to talk. Um, our top five issues are universal basic income, public safety alternatives to policing, rent stabilization and eviction protections, decarceration, and expanding mental and emotional health care. And some of the biggest issues that come up in the neighborhood um, are landlords that don't live here and don't take care of the homes and the need to expand our home ownership and home improvement grant programs. The other thing that comes up a lot is programs for kids and teen and actually traffic calming strategies. People ask for speed bumps and they ask for a stop sign. That's amazing. I love the fact that your elevator pitch would be to ask them questions. That's that's the sort of people that we need in 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 government. And so I'm glad that you are running for for legislature. Carolyn, thank you so much for appearing, taking time out of your busy canvassing to uh, to 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 talk to us here on Transformation Thursday. Thank you for having me, ladies. So much fun. Oh, yeah, well, good seeing you again, Carolyn. And just too. so you just so you know, I don't think anybody could really hate you because I've known you for three years and you're a wonderful person. So it's hard. I'm like kind of nice. It's hard. And, and you've got fantastic hair. Yeah, you do. Thanks. <laughs> We're gonna be right back with a quick wrap up for with with Amy and I. Thank you very much, Carolyn, for being on there on, on Transformation Thursday. And we will be right back after this. To financially support Transformation Thursday, go to TransformationThursday.com and that will bring you to our Patreon page. Once there, click on the Become a Patron button. You can also follow us online on Facebook. You can follow us by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. And please join our private Facebook group by searching Transformation Thursday on Facebook. On Twitter and Instagram, you can follow us at TransThursPod. To make sure you stay up to date with all the latest episodes, please subscribe to the Transformation Thursday Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google podcast or wherever you get your podcasts on apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star rating and a short review it's free and it does help get transformation thursday out to a larger audience finally transformation thursday is copyrighted material all rights reserved 2020 welcome back to transformation thursday my name is amy stevens and my pronouns after the break have not changed they are she her and I'm Penny Sterling, and my pronouns are she, her as well. We've been hitting some pretty good uh, people and good guests on Transformation Thursday, including a lot of political guests recently. Uh, we've had Lindsey Boylan. We had Victor Sanchez. Carolyn Delvecchio was another really good get, Amy. Thank you for asking her to be on this show. She was very informative. And don't forget last week's guest, Oh, yeah. Kate Oakley's not running for anything. She just runs things in general. But, uh, doing, yes. but doing very important political work. Incredibly important political work, and for, for especially for the LGBTQ community. And, yeah, that's what the great thing about... about, about and, and after and, we recorded last week with Kate, we had realized that we had actually been next to each other at a Starbucks. <laughs> I swear to God, Amy, you know everybody... <gasps> Yeah, I do. It's, it's it's like it's like uh, yeah. People don't know this, but we were afterwards we were we were just talking about you know and like Kate was like yeah I, I you know this her routine where she gets coffee and 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 you said do you you said do you drive a blue oh, yeah whatever blue whatever car. car it was and her eyes got wide and she was like yeah because she's like. <laughs> 500 miles away from both of us and she was yeah I I saw you at a Starbucks. <laughs> true story <laughs> yeah but yeah it really is a true story and it's, it's like as like i can't believe that i of, of all the people you're like one of those people and i'm really glad you brought carolyn and i can't uh carolyn no i brought carolyn uh, we both brought carolyn and we both know carolyn devecchio yes husband. yes we do yeah we, we yeah we had a we've had a lot of carolyn catherine i was making sure i was getting the right <laughs> name i know me and my names uh yeah uh my takeaway from this is um She's got such a positive attitude, a can-do attitude. 
that, that, that if anyone's going to be able to reach across the aisle, you wouldn't think it would be um, somebody who's got a she, them uh, ad, appellation, uh, pronouns in her name, but I think she could probably do that better than a lot of people could. Yeah, and I have two takeaways, so I hope you don't get mad at me for going over my one finally. Do um, I ever get mad at you, Amy? Only off, only off mic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but the first one I'd like to start talking about the UBI, because, you know, when I first heard about that, you know, I'm like, oh, this, is that going to take away motivation? But I think, you know, and what we've seen through the pandemic, and you talked about this, is when you give people money, that need the money, they go out and they spend the money at restaurants, they go out and they buy staples for their family, not staples, but rather diapers, canned corn, and this is the basic necessities of life and it brings everybody up to a more equal playing field. So I really like that she talked about UBI. The other yeah. thing that stand out there for me is having some sort of queer representation that it be trans, LGBTQ, gay, whatever it is, in county government, because as I was thinking about that, as I interact with my county legislator here, who's a Republican in my district here in Monroe County, I would not feel comfortable going to him with anything related to gender issues. And just so, and I know right now that my state senator and my local representative are very, I don't believe they're LGBTQ, but I feel very comfortable reaching out to them and knowing that makes a huge difference. So I would hope that, you know, she can give some visibility to those issues that she spoke about with pronouns and just, you know, queer visibility within county government. Yeah, I think it's really good that she has such a well-rounded approach to everything, though. Most of, you know, like it's 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 important. You're right to have that transgender, uh, that that queer representation. Uh, but it is also important to show that, you know, just because you're queer doesn't mean that you don't have the same problems and you don't want the same solutions as everybody else. And she does both of those things quite well. Um, so I wish her the best of luck. Uh, good luck in the primaries. I was going to ask her when the primaries, it's like in the 22nd, isn't it? Yeah, I believe you're right. Yeah. I was going to, I wasn't going to say that specifically, but yeah. So the, when the primaries yeah, are out, 22nd. Yeah. Uh, she's got the, uh, she's got the transformation Thursday. Can we give her the transformation Thursday endorsement? You already gave her the Penny Sterling, so I have no problem with that. All right, so it's the official Transformation Thursday endorsement for Carolyn Del Vecchio Hoffman, and I'm so glad she came on the show, and we've got a whole bunch of great stuff coming up in the future. Uh, we're wrapping up now. Support us on Patreon. Uh, make sure that you subscribe to us. Make sure you give us the old five-star rating on Apple. Uh, and uh, anything else you want to add, Amy? No, I'm just... I... You know what? I just appreciate everybody who listens to us and who supports us. You know, we, we get messages, we get feedback, and, and it really means a lot to us. And I really believe this is the best podcast that not enough people are listening to. I think you've, I, I think you just wrote our slogan, the best podcast that not enough people are listening to. And we're going to do our best to get more and more people listening to this show as we move forward. But for now, that's it for tonight. Good night, Amy. Good night, Penny. Good night, everyone. <laughs>